Welcome to Definitely Maybe Agile, a podcast where Peter Madison and David Shurrock discuss the complexities of adopting new ways of working at scale. Hello, Dave. Good to see you again. Peter, I think this is a dangerous conversation. We've just got off of long weekends or a good weekend. We're relaxed, full of energy. It's a Monday. What are we talking about? Capacity planning. <laughs> Everyone's favorite topic, right? Especially this time of year, right? Because, I mean, you've got... Um, well, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And then it's like, what, what's the plan for next year? Yeah, I think this leads into roadmaps. But let, let's focus on the capacity planning piece of it. And I know you've got some very strong opinions on this. So uh, I'm quite looking forward to this conversation. <laughs> I have a lot of interesting conversations about this where it's it's a very interesting question because so many times it comes off of the back of we've spent three or six months Everyone's created agile teams. They're comfortable. They're seeing the agile teams deliver. Everything's really good. And then all of a sudden, it's this time of year and they have to plan for next year. And they start thinking that they've got to be able to break all of that work down. And they don't recognize they've already got a really, really good measure of what capacity they have, where the bottlenecks might be, by just looking at how the agile teams are functioning where the bottlenecks are, where the impediments and and dependencies kind of crop up and so on. So they've got all the raw materials, but what often happens is we end up back in, you know, spreadsheet situations. We look at every piece of work. We try and figure out how many hours, days, whatever contribution we're getting from different skills. And it all of a sudden breaks down to people again, instead of understanding the teams are already there and we've already got much of the data we need. So, So the solution to capacity planning is create the teams first. Well, let's put it a slightly different way, right? We're, how do I put this? We can either, we're either going to handle every individual skill set individually, in which case you're in a resource managed world where I have project managers and resource managers determining who, who works where. Now, that's a model that has worked and continues to work in some environments. If that's working and it's it's giving you what you need, then you know how to solve the resource capacity planning problem, right? Yeah, it's what I would call a work-centric view of the world where we look yeah. at the work, we estimate the work, we say, oh, that, that's going to take four hours and uh, Bert over there can do it. And uh, yeah. <laughs> And we, we and, and we're we're optimizing delivery and we're optimizing cost by making sure that Bert spends four hours over there doing, and then we pluck him from there and move him to another place where he can do his equivalently expensive role in another piece of the organization. And I the the reason we're we're chatting a little bit about this is both of us have worked in the industry long enough that we don't really rate that way of working because with the pace of change that shift from work centric to customer centric means that we have to let go of that whole resource planning you get better performance by stepping back and creating an environment where the teams can take care of much of that themselves yeah i, I mean i, I totally agree it's uh and uh, that underlying piece of building the teams is not the focus that we're looking at at the moment. But there's a set of questions that always come up. Uh, and so I thought this might be an interesting way to approach this conversation. So, and and because we're looking at next year and we're thinking of, that somebody said, okay, I've, uh, and we're going to withhold judgment on the whole. You just planned out the whole of the next year, even though you probably don't even know what's going to happen next quarter or next month. But that aside, how many people do I need? 
to deliver on what I've committed to. So I've I've seen this work so well, and uh, and I'll I'll talk a little bit about my experiences in this area. But here's here's I think one of the stumbling blocks. As you were saying that, I was thinking, you know what? This is one of the big changes that we've seen, and that is that um, agile teams aren't the agile teams of yesteryear. So I think we've both had enough experience of working with, and we've been fortunate to work with some solid small, dedicated, cross-functional teams that are focused on a particular product, particular, you know, functionality that they're building. And they they have predictability and they they own their product and they they're very they're very kind of engaged and involved and, and focused on what they're building. As I look at more and more organizations today, and as with this is that whole uh, adoption curve, we're at the tail end of that, that definition of an agile team is being watered down. They're they're dedicated except for when they're not and they're cross-functional except for these key roles which we can't possibly put on teams and we we know all of the reasons why it's not quite there but what that means is whereas in that previous example I was describing you can you can kind of take the work that that team goes that delivers to the bank there's confidence that when the team says this is what we can work on you know it's going to come back and they're going to be pretty solid about what they can deliver whereas I think so many of the teams nowadays certainly that I bump into are not set up for success so they have good sprints, they have bad sprints. Their predictability has a lot more sort of variance to it. Uh, and that causes lack of trust and credibility in their output, which means now, how how could I possibly use that for capacity planning? Well, exactly, because, I mean, the trust erodes at the other side of that equation. But so, so to be able to let go, as you were describing, to be able to rely on the consistency of the teams and use that as your measure for determining uh, the answer to the question of how many people do I need? You've got to be able to have some trust in the consistency of what those teams deliver. And uh, as I, uh, it's funny, I came up in a conversation today with one of the coaches on my team who was uh, working with a, a client's team, and that client's uh, team was that lead was somewhat frustrated because they'd. Um, yet again, rolled everything over to the next sprint. Nothing had got delivered out of what the initial initially had committed to, and so, and so, like we didn't actually deliver any of it. Well, and and so now, how can you plan for next year? You can't. You don't have confidence in the team's ability to deliver. So we start looking elsewhere to come up with that capacity plan. Um, and what I wanted to draw attention to is, is I've worked with organizations where they have a handful of teams, a dozen teams, 50 teams, whatever it is. They can look across those teams about what they can deliver. And there's a question there about how to look across teams to look at their total capacity because everybody's estimating in subtly different ways. So there's a few problems to solve there still. But once you've got that solved, you've got this sort of, you know, you know the capacity of that delivery capability, give or take. Certainly, if you've got that credibility, you've got enough of an idea to be able to look at a strategic roadmap, to look at the amount of effort in there and tell within you know a reasonable amount whether or not you're needing extra teams or you don't need extra teams. Yeah, well, this is this comes down to I mean, there's still an estimation on the how big is that work, and to understand yeah. that we we need to break it down into small enough chunks that we can understand it well enough to be able to do that estimation. Definitely. Um, yeah. And so there's a there's a piece there that needs to be done. I think there's another element where people go almost too far in that they try to break it down into too much granularity, and then at that point you you run into uh, another set of problems, which is I'm spending all of my time estimating. 
estimating and none of my time actually doing the work. So there is a there's an intersection there between those two, which I think is kind of interesting. And I think I, another question that comes up, going back to the question sort of uh, trope that we, I was starting on there, um, that uh, I think you touched on was the how do I know what type of people am I missing? Uh, yeah. So and and there's a, a bit in the middle here, which is the how do I know what type of skill sets I'm missing ties to where the bottlenecks are. And so one of the, the key steps. So if we if we get to the point where we've got strong, credible, agile delivery from the dedicated cross-functional agile teams, there are still skill sets that those teams need that are probably not on the team. So this is where the shared services, and that might be infrastructure or compliance, it might be UX, maybe a number of different things where all of a sudden I have, and and the interesting thing is now I've got two areas to look at. One is, do I have enough like capacity to kind of get things moving, um, deliver substantial work? And that's where the teams come in. That's broadly a case of looking at the work coming down the pipeline, looking at that roadmap, estimating it and comparing it with what delivery capacity we have and seeing what the gap is. But there's another layer to that, which is where are my bottlenecks going to emerge? And you start from there, you're looking at your shared services and you're understanding, you know, how long are the queues of work going into those shared services? Is there a strategic risk? Have I got one or two people controlling all of the access into data, for example? So I've got a strategic risk that I need to protect myself from there? Or have I got other skills which... So one of the organizations we're working with right now, they have a a ton of marketing activity. They're rebuilding, they're rebranding and doing a whole bunch of work in marketing, which is going to overload their design and UX capabilities. So you already know there needs to be a conversation about, are we prepared to slow this down? Are we outsourcing that and getting certain things brought in and remembering just because you outsource it doesn't mean there's no admin cost and no overhead on your side. All of the things that come with that. So there's a few conversations to be had there, but it's not it's not impossible to look at that and understand it. Yeah. Uh, well, and it, uh, a part of that is operating at a level where you can see across everything. Um, another mistake that I commonly see organizations making in this capacity planning is uh, is capacity planning in islands. So I've got I've got product, I've got engineering, I've got um, marketing, but each of those is operating independently. So I've got no visibility to be able to do the kind of uh, analysis that you were just describing, where it's like, I know that this is going to cause massive problem here. I need to go work out how I'm going to solve that problem. And as you say, I've got choices then to make. But if people aren't talking at the right level and that isn't visible, then you're going you're gonna to start to run into those problems. And then I think that also then takes you back down the, oh, we've got to plan every single little piece of this out. <laughs> it's interesting. What you're just describing is exactly something that we're looking at right now. And what's uh, going to play a big role in that solution is pieces of work that cross those groups. Because if I have a piece of work in my group, my I'm always going to underestimate the amount of kind of work I'm going to need from others. And the, the classic one is business rolls out a new system and they don't think IT needs to be involved. And how many times have we seen that, right? Happens all the time. Salesforce. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> so, so, really but, always is. No, but, and these are, these are cross cutting initiatives, right? And as soon as I look at them from a cross cutting perspective, and now I can start saying, well, you'll contribute something, will contribute something. What's that sort of difference? You know, what's the ratio, if you like, of what, what contribution everyone makes? And again, we can now start having reasonable conversations around capacity. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the difficulty often I see that arises there as well, but I never had the capacity for that. I, I never, I, I don't have the ability to consume that. I'm already working on the things that I said I was going to work on. And uh, mm-hmm. this is something new and I don't have the capacity to take that on. Uh, mm-hmm. So something, then it becomes the case of, well, if I say yes to that, what am I saying no to? What am I going to stop yeah. doing? <laughs> well, and, and this is that whole, you know, now just stepping back from when we started. So this is why capacity is such a headache because it, it bubbles up very quickly whenever you try and do something across the organization. Because what we actually find is that everybody in the organization is is quite rightly um, focused, like myopic in their view. They're looking at what's in front of them and what they have to worry about. They're not thinking, oh, there's this piece of work going to come in in two months time and I need to reserve capacity for that. They've probably got a three or a four month backlog of work they're dealing with. So this is where that quarterly planning, cross-cutting initiatives, looking across the organization becomes so important. We don't need to spend a ton of time doing it, but we need to spend enough time that people are aware of some of these impacts heading their way. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got an understanding of like, what, where are we going? Like, and are we all aligned to that direction? And it's, uh, it's curious, I would say, that, uh, <laughs> but, it, yeah. but we we see these uh, these kind of problems everywhere. And uh, I think I think the other interesting one, and it was interesting that you started from that point where the that capacity with the teams. But when you've got an organization that has already committed to all of their future work and has, but is still operating in a, um, we give work to birth. Manner, uh, but is looking to change if there's <laughs> <laughs> so let me spin this one around a little bit into because i think this is there are there are two models there is the traditional model that we're used to and i get a spreadsheet and i look at how many hours i need from different skill sets and we look at bert's contribution and we adjust how many BERTs we need in the organization. And I must admit, I don't spend a lot of time. I don't, I don't, from an agile context, I don't find that a useful conversation to have. What I find much more useful is let's make sure your teams are delivering and get those to a stage where they're delivering. Let's understand the shared services. And if I can just give you one of the best examples I've had of this is in a period of one week, we got together with an organization and it's multi-millions of dollars. This isn't one or two teams in a startup. It's a significant medical company that's delivering medical products. They had hardware and software and they had, I think they had around six or eight agile delivery teams. And we sat down and looked at what they had for the coming year and they were receiving funds. They had a whole bunch of opportunities opening up. So their their backlog of ideas, initiatives, opportunities that they wanted to pursue was considerably larger than what, than what they'd done in the in this calendar year that was ending. But we had like that 12 months of solid agile delivery behind it. And they'd good experience of estimating initiatives at the highest level. In that one week conversation, they freed up the funding to double the capacity of the organization and started the hiring and releasing of that funds very, very quickly. And that came about because first of all, they had credible confidence 
They had confidence in the capacity of the agile teams. They had confidence in the estimates and they could see, they knew they were going to have to adjust scope. They even, you know, but they could see they had a, a doubling or more of opportunities coming down the pipeline. They knew how to go about delivering that. So they just needed to bring new teams in. It was a pretty straightforward conversation. And what struck me about that was that was decisions made with a significant price tag, but made early with confidence and then followed through from an executive team that understand understood what they were looking at. And I've seen that a number of times. It works very cleanly with enough, there's gray area. You know, you're going to miss the occasional developer and tester and things like this because you don't bring enough in. But g- generally, there's a really good presence there. Yeah, once you have, because what you're describing um, is that there is an alignment around how do we identify uh, what the value of the things that we're going to do are. We've got a method of understanding what, uh, coming to an agreement as to what the effort is to a certain level of confidence. And if we don't have that, we know how to go about getting it. We So we're looking at our prioritization mechanisms, which are built into that. We've, based on a historic experience of, of teams like this delivering, we've got an understanding of what it takes to stand these up, uh, how long they'll get to be cred. We, un- we understand our underlying technology. So there's an, the technical architecture, which we can deliver on top of. And so we've got that those practices in place. So once those sorts of things are true, then capacity planning becomes uh, uh, easier in an agile space because you're yeah. you're now saying, okay, I'm I'm just really I'm adding another chunk of capacity and another chunk of the ability to deliver. So if as long as I have these um, this work coming in that I want to take on, then I can and I can divide that up and break it in the in sensible manner to deliver it out to delivery teams. I've got a way of uh, of handling that throughput. So it's just add another block of capacity. I love the way you're describing it. And it just occurred to me is it's like adding a lane to a highway. Mm-hmm. Right? You've got three lanes you know you've got way more capacity than those three lanes will handle. So you can kind of do a back of the envelope calculation. It's a bit more than that. But to decide, do you need four or do you need five lanes? And those are the sorts of conversations we're talking about. Very, very successful conversations. One other thing I should add, I think there were three executives in the case that I'm thinking of. And certainly in other cases, it's been that sort of three to six Mm-hmm. You can get into certain organizations where you've got, you know, eight to 12 executives trying to decide on priorities. Well, you're not going to get that sort of rallying around what the problem is to be solved there, I would think. It it can be tougher for sure. I've, I've yeah. seen that. The more people you have in the room that you have to get aligned, the harder it is to do. That goes yep. without saying. <laughs> so that is just a given. For sure, for sure. And I and I think the only thing I would say that in sort of when I look at these nowadays, I spend more time on is the, the shared services to find out what those specific, to your point of what skill sets you need. I think that conversation is one that's taking a very simplistic, agile view of how much capacity do we have in the teams does not take enough consideration to is, you know, are we, do we have enough, enough architects? Do we have enough compliant, whatever the skill set is, those, those individuals that are going to be critical they'll be the bottlenecks can we make sure we've we've kind of doubled down on those as well yeah yeah i know i know what you mean i've, I've seen that many times before too how would you summarize it i feel like i i'm hesitant to peel back the next layer but uh, uh well if we, if we were to wrap this up and summarize it uh um i think the piece that i really liked was around considering the what you need in place for it to work like what are the the 
criteria you need to be looking for if you're looking at capacity planning in an agile world and you're deploying you've got teams that are functioning and able to deliver but also the where that's coming from like what are the things that we're looking for like if uh, and this is why organizations like that are able to function in this manner and I don't know if we got enough into uh, why this is a much better way of working, but... Uh, <laughs> well, maybe we'll pick that up in our next one. But I think, you know, in, in our conversation, one thing that struck me is that those prerequisites to that is, you know, solid teams, teams that are credibly delivering enough of a product roadmap looking ahead that is not, you know, sized down to user stories, but is something that is is well enough understood and the, the um, estimation of kind of volume is there. We touched right at the end on prioritization across a sort of, you know, it, a prioritization process which is fully supported. That would be the way. It could yeah. be fully supported with a dozen people, but often the more more people, the more fingers in the, in the pie, the harder it gets. Right. I, I think uh, I really enjoyed that conversation. But, uh, Great. As always. And uh, uh, if uh, you want to hit subscribe, we're always like new subscribers and you can reach us with uh, yeah. feedback at definitelymaybeagile.com. And uh, until next time, Dave. For sure. Until next time, Peter. Thanks. You've been listening to Definitely Maybe Agile the podcast where your hosts, Peter Madison and David Sharrock, focus on the art and science of digital, agile, and DevOps at scale. 